0: Yo! Welcome everyone to another Mere Models book recap. My name is Karen. and I do these book recaps for those who want to know more about what the Mere Models have been reading this past month. So I go over all the books that we were reading between Juan and myself and give some additional uh, highlights, extra little comments and thoughts that I had on them and um, yeah, no point in sticking around and wasting time. Let's jump into it. My favorite book of the month was Finite and Infinite Games by James Kass. I had heard about this book previously through The Infinite Game by Simon Sinek and I have always had a sort of mentality of of wanting to separate the the world into to, to games, like which game is it that you're playing. So, if you're playing the game of you know, woke culture and trying to uh, one-upmanship someone on the internet, that's a shitty game to be playing. Like, that's a stupid game to play. And that's always how I'd sort of viewed those things in my mind. So, you know, am I playing the game of rising the corporate ladder to get more money so that I can have more possessions, so that I can impress someone to blah, 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 or can I play another game, which is you know, earn a little bit money enough to survive and then sort of get out of that whole world, that whole game and then go play my own one, which involves handstands and learning languages and podcasting. Like that's way cooler. <laughs> so I've always sort of had a, a fascination with viewing the world in terms of of games like that. And I think this book was uh, also nice for the philosophy aspect of it in that it was a way of structuring the world and viewing the world through a completely different lens um, and I, I really enjoyed it compared to what you would term classical philosophy is like niche or, or Socrates or things like that. Um, I, one probably cause it was in modern language. So it was only written, um, I'll get my notes up here and, and be able to tell you exactly when it was written. It was written in 1986 so not too long ago. Uh, and, yeah, the 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 way it was structured, the everything about the book just made me go like, "Damn, this is a this is a really fun, nice read." So I ended up giving it an eight out of ten. I'm going to jump back to this at the endish of this of this uh, video of this audio because uh, I do want to read out a bunch of quotes from it, but it's probably going to take a while. So I'll, I'll jump onto some of the other books first, and then uh, we'll we'll come back to this, and I'll read out some of my favorite quotes. The next one was Snow Crash, which I gave a 7.5 out of 10 to. So very relevant in today's world with the metaverse, the concept of the metaverse of being able to dive down into a completely different world and you are in this sort of VR type of space where you can interact differently, where you can behave differently as well. What I was surprised about the book was I was expecting this would be Uh, an additional sort of like wow factor to it whereas to me it sort of seemed like people were escaping from their current shitty world to go into the metaverse and like god I hope that doesn't happen (laughs) with ours I really hope the the normal world is nice and then it's just like even cooler to go down into this this new one Uh, the other aspect I I think was maybe just the uh, additional Ability for expression is what holds its value you know it's not it's not being able to flip a nft or whatever game in the in the new metaverse on this blockchain or anything like that it's you can behave differently when you are in the metaverse and and maybe this will actually be a a really cool thing if someone can design one that is even halfway similar to what is um, written in the book, with the the VR, the I- ability to interact with people, sort of face to face, and that was one of the things that came out in the book was the one of the designers who really uh, made the metaverse what it is in the in the book. She was focused on the facial aspect, on getting the minutiae of the you know tiny little eye dilation pupil dilation smile creases in the face to uh, indicate expression and whatnot what really made the metaverse so amazing was that she was able to do this and then this allowed this communication to to actually be something whereas you know so many other aspects such as like if you cut someone with a sword blood and guts don't spill out it's sort of like a they've been frozen and it's like a chopped and you can see inside into their blood and guts but it's not spilling out everywhere and whatnot so Maybe that's where the true value lies, in that you, if you go into the metaverse, yes, you can be anonymous somewhat, but then still have that anonymity connected with the normal human signals that we get when speaking to someone face to face. The, you know, disappointment in their eyes when you say this thing, the shock when you say that thing, the disgust if you do this or whatnot. Like all of those are really vital and valuable cues and which is somewhat being missed in the current social media landscape of text and then even audio is is somewhat lacking. So yeah, I uh, I enjoyed the book. Um the really enjoyed the other aspects related to language uh, which surprised me as well. I didn't think he'd be going so deep into the, you know, relativistic versus universalistic type of languages, is grammar coherent through all of them, the idea of a sub Language that can sort of infiltrate into the brain and take over people is is quite intriguing um, i yeah i'm just a bit of a language linguistic fan so so there was quite a lot of unexpected aspects to the book which i which I quite enjoyed so that's why I gave it a seven and a half out of ten. It was a pretty good book. Uh, the myth of Sisyphus was another one. This one was a bit meh for me. I gave it a five out of ten. I like the idea of absurdism and the Sisyphean tragedy or comedy if you want to call it that uh, because people view Sisyphus in, in different ways some people the I, I suppose like the most common one is like geez what a torture you have to do the same thing repetitively day in day out for the rest of your life never achieving your goal you get the ball roll just up to the peak of the hill and then bam it, it rolls down um, I had actually um, this so this book sort of reverses that and says, Sisyphus might be the most happiest of us all, you know, because he gets the continual pleasure of, of living in the absurd. And it's that moment when he's walking down the mountain, what are his thoughts? And Albert Camus there was, was sort of indicating like he would be in, in rapture, it'd be like a joyous thing for him. This isn't a new concept to me. I'd actually heard it from a, a blog post a long time ago um, by this guy called Rushvi who who wrote about how Sisyphus might be the happiest of us all cuz when you can continually chase something you don't get that disappointment that you know elation yes of achieving your goal but then disappointment of being like oh i need a new goal to chase after otherwise i'm going to be unfulfilled and happy whereas if you continually have one which you can never reach you can almost reach but never reach maybe that is what makes you super happy so the book was good for that part, and I I just do like the myth, the the creation of Sisyphus. I find it a, a very compelling story, uh, but then all the poetry, the the sort of absurd nonsense contained within was yeah. I, I get I, I think I somewhat get the point of of writing things poetically like that. It's it, you can get something a little bit deeper perhaps than just normal structured trying to convey as clearly and precisely as you can language. I, I get that, but. That's not the best for me, uh, I would say. So I I can somewhat really enjoy it sometimes when it's like the Tao Te Ching, for example, and there's a tiny little book and it's just these little witty paragraphs and sentences, you know, the the master who does nothing leaves nothing undone. I, I, I like that quote. But when it's a full book, it's sort of, eh, I, I get a bit tired of it. So that was, uh, yeah, 5 out of 10 for me, nothing nothing too special. Uh, Juan also had a book called Love Stories by Trent Dalton, who was a Brisbane writer. Um, it was intriguing actually going into the the book review that Juan did and, and seeing, oh, like, yeah, I, I, I know where he's sitting. I, I know that place. I've walked by it all the time. You know, it's probably like at least once a month, once a month i walk by that that very same location would I have ever seen that guy there? It's a possibility. Um, So, yeah, it was kind of funny. Like if if things had been different, uh, my love story might have been included in the book. And uh, that is actually not true because the love story is the very word love for me. Juan mentioned this. I, I dislike that word. It seems to have gone beyond the point of utility and it is now a word which can mean anything to anyone, which is unhelpful. So... Yeah, I'm not I'm not a fan of the word love and so um yeah, even just the the book itself, the title itself would have probably put me off love stories like meh, whatever. So <laughs> uh, anyway, he seemed to enjoy the book, so if you're into into love stories, hate that that could be the book for you. Coming back to finite and in infinite games, I've got a bunch of things here which I wanted to read out and just highlight, so I'll do that now. So if you don't particularly want to do this, you can skip to the next section where I'll read out some boostograms. But for the moment, um, here we go on page 37. I found this a bit of a contradiction. So he was talking about um, the fluidity of our social and therefore personal existence as a function of our essential freedom, the kind of freedom indicated in the formula. Who must play cannot play. Of course, we have seen finite games cannot have fluid boundaries, for if they do, it will be impossible to agree on winners, but finite games float as if they were in, an, in the unconstrained choice each player makes in entertaining and continuing to play. Now, the thing with this was he says, you know, who must play cannot play. That is the, the rule, I guess. Uh, this was on page 37 for those interested. Um, and that made sense to me totally agree with that if you're if you're being forced to play a game you're you're not really playing a game you're that's that's something a little bit else Uh, but then there was other sections of the book where he was saying a person born into slavery and being forced to you know work the cotton fields or something like that they're playing a game the game is you you pick the cotton or you die and you you have a choice in that game. You can pick the cotton, or you can choose not to pick in the cotton, and you can die. And that and he was trying to explain how even even death or the threat of death isn't a a compelling thing. It's not forcing someone to play who must play cannot play. Uh, whereas I I didn't understand that at all. I was just going like what the shit. Like if the threat of death or violence is not a compulsion and is not something forcing someone, i.e enforcing them to play who must play um i'm I'm not really sure what is so that that um didn't make sense to me and if someone can explain that to me that would be perfect 39 uh, page 39 and 40 so he's talking about um politics here so let me find the correct uh part to start from so i think he was saying like therefore even warfare and heroism can with their self-contradictions and full play uh, no nation can go to the war Ah, sorry, here we go It was on page 40 Therefore, for infinite players Politics is a form of theatricality It is the performance of roles Before an audience According to a script Whose last scene is not known in advance or Whose last scene is known in advance By the performers The United States did not, for example Lose its war in Southeast Asia I.e. with Vietnam so much as it as lose its audience for a war, no doubt much of the disillusion and bitterness of its warriors coming home, uh, of its warriors comes from the missing final scene. The heroes homecoming to parades or ceremonial burial, an anticipated scene that carries many into battle. I thought that was a really fantastic point. Yes, what disillusioned that war, what made that war so horrifying and bad for, uh, for the soldiers coming home was they weren't greeted as you know congrats on your patriotism for fighting for your country what you believe was right they were shunned they were ridiculed they now this is generalization it was before my time as well so this is me interpreting how i have seen history presented and that seemed to make a lot of sense to me the that that they were playing a game, the game of war, um, they, they chose to, or many people chose to, a lot of people didn't. And that's where I would say they're not playing the game of war. Uh, but those who did choose to go um, and fight voluntarily in Vietnam, uh, they, they, it's almost like they got the rules changed on them. Yes, they were either going to die and become a martyr of some sort, or they would come home victorious or, or, or losing as well. That's a possibility. Um, but they didn't lose in the the classical sense they didn't co- like lose the battle come home and you know get get even get condolences from their own citizens for you know you tried your best sort of thing it was no you're you're their real enemy here you are the bad guys uh, I thought that was a really great point and um yeah the theatricality you know the the outcome should be known beforehand that's that's why the master player. Um, will the the person who is the best player in the world, the best game? They know exactly what's going to happen. They can anticipate perfectly, and they just smash the other person. That is the that is the person who is the master player. That that theatricality. When we watch, we somewhat expect a an outcome to to be this way. You expect this thing to happen. Um, I thought that was some really good points there. Another one. So this is from page 50 and it says where are we the more powerful we consider persons to be the less we expect them to do for the power can come only from that which they have done after athletic contests in which major titles have been at stake it is common for the audience to lift the winners to their shoulders marching them about as if they were helpless in the sharpest possible contrast to the physical skill and energy they have just displayed That's an interesting point there. Monarchs and divinities are often born on ceremonial transports. The very wealthy are driven in carriages or limousines. How funny is that? I'd never thought of that before. Yes, the person who is the winner, who who is particularly in athletic contests, the most powerful, the most capable, are then hoisted as if they were helpless and paraded around as if they had no ability whatsoever of themselves how that how strange is that how that's just such a strange concept um I love it I love that that idea um i'd never never thought of that before, and I just that really jumped out at me here's another one from page fifty two um do, do 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 and of course I can't find ah uh, yeah sorry yeah right at the top. It is apparent to infinite players that wealth is not so much possessed as it is performed. So, in this section here, he was talking about how wealth is is something that you need to display, and and that power that you can gain from it. The game is is not to actually own the things yourself. If if you've seen a, a mansion which has fifty rooms in it, you know you can't sleep in all of those rooms every night no you can only sleep in one of them and so over the course of a year yeah maybe you can sleep in all of them but the enjoyment you would get from that would be tiring because you'd be like oh this new room again I prefer this room so there was he was sort of saying like when you have wealth it's it's not the possession of it it's the performance so it's it's sort of the showcasing of the wealth wow look at all these mansions look at all these rooms i have why don't you come in here tv crew and show me in this room and then show me in this room and he was he made some good points also in that that section about how yes the wealth and you can see this everywhere with the the cars the rings the jewelry it's it's the it's not the actual possession of it that that matters because you can have all that stuff and and have it hidden in a vault somewhere. And it loses its power. You could have all the gold in the world, but if no one knows that you're the one who owns it, and if you can't prove it by performing in this this wealth by by showcasing it, the theatricality of it, what's the point of it? There's no point. So I thought that was a an interesting point to think of. If you're chasing wealth, you are you need to maybe recognize that whatever it is that you're chasing, you do need to perform it. It does need to be a performance to showcase to other people. And it's actually given me a little bit of, um, maybe a little bit of, uh, acceptance, a little bit of, I'm not going to say gratitude, but an understanding of, of why people will display things ostentatiously and, and maybe a uh, an appreciation for, okay, that's, that's an easy trap to get caught in. They're, they're performing their wealth, um, and that's something that sort of goes against my general principles. I'm I'm not a big believer in, in, in that, but it has made me appreciate, I think, that just how important it is. If you have wealth, you need to perform it. So that, that was a little interesting point there. Uh, page 76 now. So this was on illness and death. And he was talking about doctors here. And he was saying... Uh, Physicians who cure must abstract persons into functions. They treat the illness, not the person. And persons willfully present themselves as functions. Indeed, what sustains the enormous size and cost of the curing professions is the widespread desire to see oneself as a function or a collection of functions. To be ill is to be dysfunctional. To be dysfunctional is to be unable to compete in one's preferred contests. It is a kind of death, an inability to acquire titles. The ill become invisible Illness has always has a smell of death about it. Either it may lead to death, or it leads the death of a to the death of a person as a competitor. The dread of illness is the dread of losing. Never really thought of that that way as well. I think this is why I really like this book. It just had different, unique ways of looking at things, such as illness or wealth or time, and presenting it in a way where I was like, oh yeah, okay, that that sort of makes sense." Yeah, wealth is performed, or ah, oh, illness is a death of you un- being un- unable to compete in the game that you want. So that is why illness is associated with death and losing, almost like you're a loser if you're sick because you now can't compete in your, i.e. athletic game or the work game or the game of creating more the most friendships or getting the most beautiful wife or, you know, insert whatever game it is that is playing, a finite game. You, you lose all of them. Whereas if you're playing in the infinite game, then being sick is is just part of the game itself. You're not losing anything. There is nothing to be lost there. I, I like that that aspect. It was um, I found that interesting. Uh, there was another one related to time. I think I might skip over that one just for brevity's sake and I'll go to page 106, which is um, talking about knowledge and how this is closely related to property. So he's talking about these things and then saying, uh, knowledge, therefore, is like property. It must be published, declared, or in some other way so displayed that others cannot but take account of it. It must stand in their way. It must be emblematic, pointing backward at its possessor's competitive skill. So close are knowledge and property that they are often thought to be continuous. Those who are entitled to knowledge feel they should be granted property as well. And those who are entitled to property believe a certain knowledge goes with it. Scholars demand higher salaries for their publishable successes. Industrialists sit on university boards. Daniel, that is really, really cool. That is, uh, once again, I would not have guessed that the accumulation, the acquiring of knowledge would have been a finite game, something that you're playing to win a title or whatnot. Somewhat, you know, especially a university degree. I can I can see why that is a, a finite game. But that that aspect of... It's somewhat like property in that you feel like it is deserved, that it needs to be uh, published, it needs to be performed, knowledge needs to be performed. You can't have absolute wisdom and not perform it if you're you're playing a finite game because no one's going to know about it. There's no titles to be won. So therefore, yes, you do need to publish all the time. Therefore, yes, you do want to be sitting on the university board or you want to be paid extremely wealthy, Um, You know In a high salary because Hey look at this knowledge I'm accumulating Look at this competitive skill that I'm displaying Bang on Bang on Um, Yeah uh, another one Page 109 So finite speakers come to Speech with their voices already trained And rehearsed they must know what they are doing With the language before they speak it Infinite speakers must wait to see what is done With their language by the listeners Before they can know what they have said Infinite speech does not expect the hearer to see what is already known to the speaker, but to share a vision the speaker could not have, cut, ha, could not have had without the response of the listener. Speaker and listener understand each other not because they have the same knowledge about something, and not because they have established a likeness of mind, but because they know how to go on with each other. And I think that uh, explains the appeal of podcasting, for example you can have infinite speech within that because I'm not exactly sure what I'm going to be saying now. I don't have tons of notes like this is my notes here in front of me. It's it's probably 20 words max <laughs> on on the general st- structure, the theme of how I wanted to to present these and just a reminder for myself. I probably could have done it without it. And that is what speech is. It is putting things out into the world and you're not sure what's going to come out of your mouth and it can even surprise you what comes out of your own mouth and what you say and you need to judge what is being said with another person speech is somewhat pointless without someone else there to to give you feedback on And, and then you can have that dance of them saying something you saying something back and this creates opportunities for sorrow for laughter for joy for happiness for anger disgust like all of these cool things and um Yeah, so that is why you might want to try and and why I want to, you know, perhaps search more opportunities for infinite speech where I can discuss things with someone and and have those joyous moments of like, whoa, what the fuck? Why did you just say that? Uh, In comparison to speech where you know what's going to be said, they know what's going to be said, and yet you have to go through it anyway because the board dictates that we have this conversation because my employer says... You need to be aware of, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the last one, there's still a couple more. There were so many I, I really took from this. this is crazy. Um, but I'll, I'll stick to this last one here, which was um, something that I found randomly uh, intriguing, which was about machinery. And so he was talking about the goal of technology Um, And he was saying machinery is contradictory in another way Just as we use machinery against ourselves We also use machinery against itself A machine is not a way of doing something It stands in the way of doing something When we use machines to achieve whatever it is we desire We cannot have what we desire until we have finished with the machine Until we can rid ourselves of the mechanical means Of reaching our intended outcome So think of a, a harvester or something like that you have to use that to, to get the fruits and the vegetables, but you don't want the machine to be part of the final outcome. You just want the fruits and vegetables for yourself and then you can eat it or sell it on or yeah, et cetera, et cetera. The goal of technology is therefore to eliminate itself to become silent, invisible, carefree. Um, we do not pers- purchase an automobile, for example, merely to own some machinery. Uh, indeed, is not machinery uh, we are buying it all but what we have by way of it a means of rapidly carrying us from one location to another an object of envy for others protection from the weather uh, and then he draws parallels between this in the radio and um, movie screens and tvs and things like that so yeah I, I i also enjoyed that aspect now one thing you might be saying is like Kyron, these quotes are boring i don't like them you, you're, you're making them uninteresting and I could somewhat agree with that because what really jumped out at me was these individual quotes that were contained with the whole paragraph, the section. And this book isn't big. It's 150 pages in length. And many of those pages are blank and and just have random stuff on them. So uh, I would highly recommend people to read this book if you're interested in games. Now, I think I mentioned this in the book review. This is a book which will suit certain people to a T, i.e. me. Uh, But if you are not interested in how games are set up, how maybe you can view life in terms of being as a game or something like that, You're probably not going to enjoy it um, because it does have a lot of poetic language and it's, it's not super clear and definitive on certain things. But what I most enjoyed about this book was the way it made me see some things I'd thought about tons of times before. You know, what is wealth or property or language or things like that? And then turn it on its head and put it in this different context of oh it could be you know it's, it's like a something that needs to be performed it's a theatrical thing that i, I found that super super cool so that's why i really liked uh, finite and infinite games by james carson and, and those quotes there all right let's go on to the the booster lounge so this is uh for those who don't know a value for value podcast this podcast can only continue with your help and your support now, whether that be feedback, motivation for me to keep going on, to to interact with what it is that you're um, sending me and getting those signals back from uh, the speech that I'm putting out, you know, it's it's somewhat infinite speech on my part because I don't know exactly what I'm going to say but I need the, the interaction back as well. So, uh, one thing I, I do recommend is to to send me a Boostergram. So I always include some prompts at the end of the, the book review that I do. What did you think of this? Did you notice this from the book? And I really enjoy um, when you can send something back and uh, give me give me some feedback on that. So best way to do that, newpodcastapps.com. And I would also recommend the Fountain app. And so here we go. We actually have all of our boosts this week from Fountain. So there you go. Um, the first one from... Oscar Merry, he sent uh, 1,100 sats and says, this one does sound like a slog. Thanks for the summary. And that was on Leviathan by Thomas Hobbes. It was a slog. I can't recommend it to people. Maybe an abbreviated version or like, probably it's it's better just going to YouTube and, and looking up like a summary of someone else's interpretation of his words. You, you'll get the bulk of it, but without the needless drudgery that I had to endure. Uh, Peter The lesson I took away from this book was this, even though life is inherently meaningless, it's worth living it anyways, because the alternative, i.e. death, is worse. So that is uh, The Myth of Sisyphus by Albert Camus, uh, 2200 sats. Thank you, Peter. Yeah, it's. uh, I I would also say I, I took that away. I really wish he'd spent a bit more time arguing about why death and suicide, in particular suicide, because that was his starting point. There's only one question really worth contemplating. you know, Should I commit suicide or should I continue staying alive? And I, I wish he'd done a better job really diving into that question. I feel like he, he somewhat answered it, but then moved on to other aspects of absurdism, the, the paradox and things like that. Um, yes, I, I would also... I want to agree wholehearted like a hundred percent it's always better but i think there would be some also edge cases where taking your own life would be the i like moral or ethical thing to do or maybe even just the best thing in terms of you know if you're in continuous pain and torture and stuff like that but but in terms of you know the vast bulk of people in the vast bulk of their lives yes um death death does seem to be something you should play against and the game is to to continue on as best as you can, maybe not as long as you can, but best as you can against against the, the final outcome, which is gonna to come to all of us anyway. So yeah. Uh here's another one from Peter. Awesome review. You might make me uh reread after all these years and see how it holds up. So that was Snow Crash by Neil Stevenson. Another twenty two hundred slats. Thank you, Peter. Yes, yeah, hell, hell yeah, man. Go go for it. I I wish everyone could have the chance to just like read it and then I, because i'm just fascinated to see how would everyone's opinion of the metaverse change if they read the book and were like oh the metaverse you you can't do all of these sorts of things in it like you the only senses you have in there are sight and sound so you're restricted quite severely in that you're still from what I'm gathering using a joystick or or a handheld device because there was no real indication of how you move around in the metaverse Um, although I do know Hero had like a functionality part where he could be in the metaverse whilst riding his motorbike in the real world uh, and it had like limited functionality so there's, there's sort of a crossover a blending there but yeah, yeah, I'd I'd love to know, Peter, what what you thought about it, if um how how it does hold up because yeah, that book was published 30, thirty, forty years ago, something. Let me, I've got my notes here. I can tell you exactly. Published in nineteen ninety two, so twenty nine years ago, um or thirty years ago. Yes, so uh, I would I would love to know. I would love to know how what your thoughts on it would have changed or what if you remember things differently because um, depending on when you read it, that, that could be uh, quite quite interesting. Uh, another one from Oscar, Pre-Listen Boost. This is one of my favorite books. So looking forward to this one, Snow Crash. So that was 1100. Thank you, Oscar. Much appreciated. Um, Mary Oscar, I also wanted it to be longer, 2200 sats also on the Snow Crash book. So uh, yeah, hell yeah. That was one thing I, I wish as well and, and I mentioned it. Uh, were, it would have been funner to have an extra like I'd say like 100 to 200 pages exploring some more concepts or providing a bit more detail on how the world got into its sort of distributed fragmented dangerous state that it was in uh, I would have loved to have, to have known all of those things and then the final one here from Pitar uh, Pitar of the Slav on the finite and infinite games was 2200 sets i'm having some trouble seeing the utility and thinking about my life interactions as a game the only thing i can think of is it, it might allow me to take life a little less seriously and therefore reduce stress and anxiety levels if it's just a game yeah i i would sort of put it this way i, I take my life pretty seriously um for the most part i am serious uh, in the book he was basically saying finite games are serious infinite games are more joking and joviality um so i sort of th- see it as maybe like three levels There's the you know t- very top level life is serious you want to take it seriously you don't want to make bad decisions and, and do stupid things the middle section is more you know maybe like longer term stuff how how do you want to behave do you want to play a game where you're there's a winner and a loser, and if you don't win, you're gonna well be depressed and, and anxious and whatnot because you can't win, i.e., um having the hottest wife out of all of your friends. Let's just pick that one. Uh that that's probably a kind of shitty game to play. And then even if you do win, you still suffer the winner's dilemma of like, oh, I won the game, what do I do next? Sort of going back to the myth of Sisyphus. You there's there's something about the eternal struggle pursuit which is kinda of satisfying in a way. So I, I, I would say like the more I can live in that realm where the top level serious, like life, Chiron as a whole is is useful and and that's that's something I wanna not take too jovial jovially, I guess. It's not like haha, Joker level style, life life is a joke, you you are the joke sort of thing. But just beneath that is sort of like, ah, you know what, life is, is, is kind of cool and, and funny and uh, I don't need to play that that silly game related to having the hottest wife. I can play the game of, you know, I'll find the best partner for myself and she will adopt and change as we grow together as well. So I can't ever have just one partner. Maybe I have like a myriad of partners all the time sort of thing. So yeah, and and then to the bottom level, which is, you know sometimes i i wouldn't say i particularly love competition in general um i'm not a super competitive person but sometimes it is nice to win something so if you're playing cards with your friends yeah fuck yeah you want to <laughs> beat those assholes and 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 win the game or You know, if it's a silly little thing or, you know, watching your kids soccer match or, you know, trying to achieve the best score on this video game or, you know, beat this person at work or blah, blah, blah. All of those things as well. I think it's the main point I took from the book was that it's useful to think about finite and infinite games when you're taking maybe life too seriously all the time and You're playing a a finite game over like a really long time scale in terms of I want to be the CEO of this company for this reason and you haven't properly thought the reason through. You haven't haven't thought through. I'm always sort of asking like, you know, if you weren't getting paid for your job, uh, would you still do it? Would you still do it if you had to pay for your job and taking away the considerations of life as well most people would say no. Like I, I do it. I don't particularly enjoy it, but I need to do it, and I understand that's that's life. There's always going to be a need for janitors and for for jobs that I think every, most ninety nine point nine nine ninety nine percent of humanity don't want to do. Yet one percent or ten percent of humanity have to do. I get it, uh, but that's that's not the right route route uh, I've taken in in my life. I want to I want to be the one where it's like I would do my job. I would do the thing that I earn money on even if I wasn't earning money or even if I had to pay for it, uh, which I have been podcasting. I've been paying, <laughs> paying for plenty of time. So uh, yeah, that, that's that's my general thing. So um, Peter and Oscar, thank you very much for for sending through those boosts. I really do appreciate it. Um, it does help. Uh, one with motivation for me and then those sats helps me to to boost them around to the, the rest of the the Satoshi economy. So they're being put to good use uh, elsewhere in the world. And that is it for the Boostergram Lounge. What is coming up for March of 2022? It's my birthday. That's one thing that's coming up. Yeah, you. Uh, but I can tell you, I have just finished Dubliners by James Joyce and, and recorded that. So that'll be the first one coming out. Uh, I'm also at the moment reading One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest um, by Ken Kesey, uh, Reasons and Persons by Derek Parfitt. Uh, that's a more of a philosophical book and i just finished i didn't finish this one i i read enough of it that i'll do a book review on it but i didn't fully finish it, it was la casa verde by mario vargas Llosa, which is a pretty famous peruvian writer and that one was written in spanish so uh, translates as the green house um, and yeah those are those are the books that i'm currently reading and hopefully will have presented for you by the end of March. And um, yeah, thank you for everyone who has listened in for obviously for Oscar and, and Peter for sending a boost. And I highly recommend everyone else to, to send a boost to Graham. If you are listening, watching, go to newpodcastapps.com and honestly use fountain. Uh, That's, that's the one I would recommend to, to go to at the moment because that is my go-to one. That's the one I use to, to spread the love and listen to it to podcasts everywhere else. So that is it for today. Thank you for joining my Mia Model Lights. I really do hope you have a fantastic day wherever you are in the world. Kyron, out.